welcome back for episode 23 of Focus Fire Chat, recorded live on March 23rd, 2016 on Twitch.tv. Big shout out to the chat here and thank you so much for spending your evening with us. This is your host, Blue Crew 86 Alongside me, we have a man who has found himself as the catalyst for a musical competition for the honor of paying, Just Insane 0516. There will be no encore. Next up is the third <laughs> member of our merry little band, the defender of Pan's name himself, Steeman Willie Beeman. Pan be with you, children. <laughs> We've also convinced Unisys, one of our resident lore masters, especially in regards to weapons, to join us again. So welcome back, Uni. Bring spin for. <laughs> The topic of today's chat is going to be a discussion over the lore behind the Weapons of Sorrow. Before we get into that, however, I do want to run through some quick notes. Our last chat covered the Cabal. If you missed that and have any interest in hearing our thoughts, please be sure to check out our Podbean site at focusfirechat.podbean.com for archives of all previous chats. You can also find us on iTunes by searching for Focus Fire Chat in the podcast section of the Apple Store. If you guys don't mind, go ahead and give us a review just to let us know how we're doing, if there's anything that we can do better. As many of you may already know, Focus Fire Chat is a cross-community gathering where the intent is to offer a week-long, in-depth view of a particular subject from within the lore of Destiny. This chat begins every Tuesday morning and runs until the following Tuesday, with topics decided by the group via a poll that begins every Friday and ends on the Tuesday morning of the new chat. Every Wednesday at about 10 p.m. Central, we get time to stream a recap of the previous week's chat for those who are unable to participate. Next week's chat is going to be our second Extra Lore episode, and we're going to be taking a look at the Elder Scrolls universe. So please be sure to tune into that, especially with the announcement of the DL- the Thieves Guild DLC that just got released. With that, I'm going to let Willie get us started with a look at what we know of the Weapons of Sorrow from the Grimoire. <laughs> to run one's enemies is to see them not as equals, but as objects, hollow of spirit and meaning. That is the 13th understanding from the 7th Book of Sorrow. Yes, there's a bunch of those things. Um, augmented through dark practices, Thorn was once a hero's weapon. Its jagged frame hints at the sinister truth, a powerful connection to the unutterable sorceries of the Hive. The legend of Thorn is bound in the rise and fall of Dredgenor, a guardian whose name is remembered with disgust and shame. The weapon was thought destroyed, but rumors of its existence still haunt the wilds. And, um, I mean, it got a little heated a couple times in chat. <laughs> this <laughs> over, thing... Over this okay, just for the record, Thorn, Thorn and the mention of Dredgenor brings out... The, the mm-hmm. just random salt of anything like I you can say hey I'm gonna walk into a chat room and say what do you guys think about Thorn and just run away and that chat room will implode I get it's like I, it's just yeah so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I think binary Gemini uh, in chat put it best the other day he said you can clearly tell that we're talking about weapons of sorrow Look what it did to the chat. <laughs> it was, it was, you know, mic drop. Oh, that's oh, awesome. Yeah. So, 
first so, of all, yeah. just what what do you? Okay, it's before we move on. Before we move on, what do we all kind of think a weapon of sorrow is? Just real quick. Well, I, I just do you want to everyone to do that, or do you do you want to do that right now, or do you want to do that? When we get into the details, because yeah, do we don't have a lot of grimoire, so just a, a <clears throat> fair or fair warning: there is not a lot of grimoire information about weapons of sorrow. Um, do you want to yeah, well, hammer through those first and then get into? Because yeah, that was no. a pretty big issue in chat. No, we you, definitely can. I think we do need to define weapon of sorrow at some point. I'm totally game. For um, let's it, let's just knock it out then. Okay. Well, I mean, um, we, I think we all agreed in chat. Now, I did have a different definition come up over on Reddit, but I actually, I agree with the definition that we got from chat. Do you want me to just Yeah, why not you? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> okay. So yeah. the chat kind of, we, we kind of, you know, we, we got to jump feet first into this as we normally do. And then we kind of took a step back and, you know, it's very quickly became apparent that we were going to need to redefine what exactly a weapon of sorrow was because in the grimoire there is actually really only two that are very specifically called weapons of sorrow and that would be thorn and the necrochasm however there are hints that there are others now the the chat kind of came came to a consensus that we know for pretty certain that there's three there's Thorn, Necrochasm, and then a lot of the chat kind of agreed that Touch of Malice would be one of those. And the parameters that we all kind of came, grudge, some grudgingly, some willingly, to agree on is there's, there's three points for a Weapon of Sorrow. The first one is that it must be a Guardian weapon. So it, it has to be originally a weapon of a Guardian. Not necessarily a specific Guardian, but just a human or a Guardian-made weapon or a human-made weapon. Number two, the second point that a weapon of sorrow would require is that that weapon is augmented in some way by the hive. Now, whether that be uh, via magic or via, you know, introducing hive mechanics, whatever, that has, there has to be an augmentation of some capacity in some way by the hive done to that weapon. And the third one is that that weapon has to have an effect on the wielder. Not necessarily the Guardian, but the Wielder. I think that was generally the three points that we all... Now, there were there were a couple other points thrown out, but that was the three that kept coming up as kind of being the baseline for a Weapon of Sorrow. Now, yeah. and, and I said... I, I said this one before I started. I actually got a different definition from well, the guys over It seems to me like they're Reddit. hungry, too. Well, that would be the effect. And, and that's also the augmentation. Those... The parameters are very broad, right? Like, they, I mean, guardian weapon, that could be anything, any human weapon. An augmentation, like I said, well, it could be a magical augmentation or it could be something similar to what it was in Bad Juju, which is the introduction, or the Touch of Malice, which is what Touch of Malice was. It was the introduction of hive mechanics into the guardian weapon, right? It didn't have to necessarily be a ritual. Silas, go to sleep, dude. But, yeah. so now Reddit, uh, this, was, this was actually put forward by Hurt Chain, Reddit had a different set of parameters, and theirs are theirs are all they actually do have. It's it's somewhat similar, but it's a little bit you know a little bit different. Their parameters were weapon. The first one was the weapon must contain ascendant soul, right? Um, which 
we can get in we'll get into a little bit later but then the other then the second point was the weapon must have a corrupting power which is kind of similar to our our point about the effect of the wielder um there was a third point that they even hurt chain and um all the people over there were kind of dubious on but they said they were going to put it in there anyways because it seemed like they all did and that was the weapon must form a bond with the wielder now they also noted that this could be wrong because this could just be a result of a hive ritual that was used to augment the weapon so it's not necessarily necessary but it seems that there is a bond formed between a weapon of sorrow and its wielder in some capacity and then the fourth port the fourth point that they kept bringing to was that the weapon must be able to evolve slash change and now using those parameters, they also got to Thorn, Necrochasm, and Touch of Malice. Um, the interesting point on theirs was that evolution and changing process. Um, you can definitely see that with the Necrochasm and the Touch of Malice. The only problem is you don't really see that in Thorn. There were a couple of theories that were tossed out in our chat that actually do address that. Um, Wait. And we can talk oh, about okay. those as well. Because, I mean, we, we have instances and we have inferred you can make an assumption that there was an evolution for thorn but there was nothing specifically well, stated like there is for the necrochasm right right well there's not an end game step by step process but there is a pretty explicit description of the petals falling off and no, no. And Actually, just, it, it never says the pedals oh, no, fall off. It's just, um, it says he well, looked down. It's, correct. Yeah, Dredgen yeah. looks at it and for the first but time... But that's a pretty significant transformation moves. from a rose to the jagged purpose of angry thorns. Well, but the the reason, the, the only reason uh, I, I that's bring perception. this up is it's perception, yeah. right? Exactly. Right. Exactly. It's perception. That doesn't mean that that gun was always... It, it doesn't mean that it was a different gun. Now, I will totally agree with you that it seems that that is the case that it, you know, and we, we talked about that a lot with the, the dredge in your chat, you know, that whole transformation that was implied with Rose to Thorn. you know, in, uh, I think it was, Oh, you're going to make me start getting into the, sorry, hang on, <laughs> hang on. There it's okay. was, it's okay. there was a, um, I think it was, Coed, Coed Beast made the point that, you know, what if Rose was the hibernating form of Thorn as the same as the Eidolon ally and the Husk of the Pit were the hibernating form of the Necrochasm? Now, in that, in that, because, you know, we know that Bad Juju was fed off the deaths of Guardians. We know that uh, Husk of the Pit fed off the Hive. You know, we know that that was capacity. So if Rose was the similar case, then it was feeding off something, maybe light, and it went through a transformation, then that point, that parameter would be met. But I'm just saying that in-game and in-Grimoire, Thorn is the only weapon of sorrow that we don't have a clear, very, very clear presentation of it manifesting a transformation of some kind. Necrochasm, we, you know, no, I think part of that is because... No, go for it. Bungie enjoys the fact that people just, you know, take to this like a fish to water. Mm-hmm. Um, that article, who, who posted, was it Code posted an article earlier where um, the guys on Twitch stream went, went ahead and said, yeah, we're definitely adding more Grimoire cards and we know people love the lore. Yeah, the game, game informer um, for April. Yeah. 
So, I mean, yeah, I mean, um, the the, man. the lore is definitely you know a very integral part, obviously, to it. But the thing is, is like what I what I just keep going back to is there is not a clear presentation that Rose was different than Thorn. It is definitely implied, and I would agree. I would personally agree that it would be. But there isn't a particular place in the grimoire that you can point that says this is the description of Rose compared to the description of Thorns. Whereas with Necrochasm, you know, we we actually witness the the evolution from Husk of the Pit to Edelin's ally to Necrochasm, and then in Touch of Malice, you know, well, we we killed Oryx and we ripped his heart out, and then we took the other pieces, and Eris actually puts them together. So it, it's. Uh, Thorn is kind of the odd person out or thought odd thing out as far as those parameters go, which I think is why the chat only agreed to the three. They didn't have the evolution piece in the parameter. But I think that's a pretty I mean I I think I touched on everything that the chat kind of agreed on as far as the definition of a weapon of sorrow. Did I miss anything? No, I, think no, I don't it. think so. Um, it's used with five magic one way or the other. Right. The um, augmentation process. Used by yeah, used by humans. And then there's the debate on the whole evolving thing, which you know, once again, I mean it it seems to me like when it says he looks at his rosinosis for the first time, it's full of jagged thorns. It seems to me like he's it's always looked the same way. He's just looking at it differently because he's a different being um, at that point in time. So, but it could have it could have evolved as well. Hopefully, we'll find out in this new batch of grimoire. Bungie, please. Also, no Chris spoilers would be good. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I'm and just I have saying a, they, they got to do something on Chris eventually. I I have a theory on that perception change as well, but I'll wait um, until we cover the other weapons. Because after we cover the other weapons, it'll kind of make a little more sense. Right. So. so, let's go back up to the Grimoire, and let's tackle... I think we have Necrochasm. Yes. Necrochasm. Eternity is very close. Can you feel yourself slipping? The weapons of sorrow were believed to be nothing more than a myth, but even the darkest, the darkest myths are born of some truths, and whispers of necrochasm have long filled the light with dread. It is said that necrochasm was born in the twilight after Crota's sword first cracked the moon, that a lost guardian's weapon was altered by the hive in an attempt to fuse their own dark understanding with humanity's mastery of war. The result was a weapon that would feed on its owner's aggression, reaching further with further when angry eyes drew focus, its hunger rising as it tore through bone and flesh. Any guardian who comes across the weapon must ask some very simple questions with endlessly complicated answers. Is your light bright enough to stand, even briefly in the full gaze of the hive's abyss? Can it handle what has died and been reborn in those shadows? And that is the necrochasm. You know, I just, whenever I read this, it always strikes me that last piece always reminds me of the Nietzsche quote, the Nietzsche quote, 
you know, be careful of staring into the abyss because well, as you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares into you. And be careful of hunting monsters that you yourself don't become one. Yes. That, I mean, that totally is what, you know, it seems to be right there is, you know, be, be wary of this. So, yeah. And the, the necrochasm in the husk of the pit and the Elon ally are definitely the hiviest of all the hive weapons. I mean, that's, there is almost zero semblance of a human weapon in there. All you have that really resembles a human weapon is the, I trigger. say that, yeah, the trigger, the handle, and and then from there on, it just looks alien. Right. Um, well, it reminds me but, a lot of the King Falls weapon. Yeah, yeah, but the the former the the former iteration of the Necrochasm was the Edelon Ally, mm-hmm. um, and it says we thought it was inanimate, but it has grown, changed. Ghost refuses to analyze it further, but I secretly believe it has become my friend. So, and I'm working this in reverse. I went from necrochasm down. So, you know, originally you would get the husk of the pit to drop from killing uh, a hive knight on the moon. And then you would. It's a white weapon, so don't accidentally discard it like we did. Yeah, I did like three or four times. Yeah. Um, So. And then I realized, hey, this is an exotic weapon I can get. And uh, then I went and farmed it and I couldn't get it for anything. But if you get so many kills, and I can't remember what it is, if it's 100 or 500, it's uh, yeah. it's a big number. It's like 500. I, you got to farm a lot. So um, if you – well, before we get into that, let's just go straight on the husk of the pit then. Well, before we go through there real quick, I did have some interesting things about the Eidolon ally. So an Eidolon is actually, it is actually a, a actual word, and it is, there's, there's a couple things that it means. It's an idealized person or thing, or a specter or phantom. Now, the interesting thing about this whole, this, this word, is that in Greek literature, these were what were called spirit images of a living or a dead person. And it was a shade or phantom look-like of the human form. In what we call theosophy, which is uh, basically it's the seeking of direct knowledge of mysteries of being and of nature, particularly concerning the nature of divinity. Uh, so it's a, it's a study of theology, basically. Um, this is an astral double, and this is also called, a I think it's pronounced perspit in Kamarupa. Which is after its death, there is a astral projection of the person who just passed, and it's before its quote disintegration. So the Eidolon is actually a a pretty well known aspect within what what we call theosophy. So it, it was an interesting interesting name for the gun because then you have ally, which is you know basically combining or uniting resources or commodities with another for mutual benefit or as most people know it a state formally cooperating with another for a military or other purpose typically by a treaty so this is a phantom ally basically and it is something that 
has entered into a treaty with the wielder for a mutual benefit, which if you think about that, it's there's a lot of implications there that we're, we're probably going to get into this a little bit later too, because there's a lot of connections between especially the necrochasm and some of the Ahamkara's deals that we're, that we start hearing about also later in the grimoire. So do you want to, you want to touch on the crux real quick, Justin? Was that yes. where you're going to jump? Yeah. In? Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Um, so, and again, we're working backwards through the weapon progression, the progression in which you got this in vanilla destiny, um, or dark below. Um, so the crux actually upgraded Eidolon Ally to Necrochasm, and it only dropped from hard mode Crota at an awful rate. But the crux of Crota, their god is now our power, obtained only by defeating the son of Oryx and heir to the Osmium throne in the raid's most difficult mode. Um, and it is a glowing green ball. Is pretty much what it is. We also called it the Crops and, of Crota. <laughs> as I far as I know, I'm allowed to say. <laughs> well, I could say it, but then it'd no longer be on iTunes. So <laughs> yeah. So it is the only, as far as I know, it's the only exotic upgrade material, right? Um. Right? Am I right? Am I right? Or am I right? I want. I'm going to defer to Uni on that one, but I want to say that's correct. But I'm so muted. Uh, yes, as far as I know, that's that's the only exotic upgrade material. Got so, that one right. Yes, man. I've 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 made so many comments in the last five minutes. You guys just don't know. I just thought you were you were bowing to my to my. Uh, my presence there. I thought, I thought, man, uni just, he sees me dropping the mic and he just wants to let it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, do you want to go into the, the quick little trivia about crux? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's hit it. It's Latin for cross. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yep. And there is a, so crux actually, it's a lot. Yeah, you're right. It's Latin for cross. It actually does mean the decisive or most important point at issue or a particular point of difficulty. So it, it is, you know, if someone is at a, it's the crux situation is a very, very important issue or important point. There is actually a constellation um, called crux, and it's also called colloquially, it's called Southern Cross, and there's a huge amount of information about it i couldn't find anything necessarily i thought there was a connection to the alpha luby but there wasn't um and i was really disappointed by that but there is there is actually a constellation called the crux that's also known as the southern cross and um mark twain always made fun of it because he said that oh look it's the it's the cross constellation that doesn't look like a cross it's what he always kind of poked fun at it for so and uni do you have anything on that one not really. I I I dug a little on it and you know I found that 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 you just mentioned about the latin for cross and everything and but no I I really didn't find anything more than that. I was kind of sad about that, but I know I was I was kind of hoping that there was something a little bit ah I I'll make up for it in the next one. So 
So, Blue, did you uh, did you mention the the expression that people use when they talk about um, kind of the linchpin of something? They'll be like, "Well, the crux of the whole conversation was." Yeah, because I mean that would be the the trend or the definition would be the particular point of difficulty or the most important most important exactly issue. So and. And that's how I view that word. I don't even look at the the whole cross um, mm-hmm. tie-in. It's it's like you want you have Elon ally, you want necrochasm, but the whole crux of the situation is you need this crux. Right. Uh, right. Does that it make was, sense? It was the most important thing to get the ally into the necrochasm. Yeah, the most the most important thing to evolve it into its best form per se so um so before the before you got the crux before you had Elon ally before any of that we got you that. had a very lowly a lowly weapon <laughs> and it so looked annoying. like a hive barnacle <laughs> it was so <laughs> go ahead we burned through so many of these things like me and a couple of the other guys at our clan we ran i i we probably sharded more of these than most people want to hear because we just kept picking them up, and they're white weapons, and we're like, "What are what? We don't want these. Like, this, go away." So, what was the what was the attack level? I don't even know. In, uh, in vanilla, 80. it was one 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 thirty. No, no, it was eighty. No, it was eighty. Oh, it was an eighty. That's right. Yes. That's right. The re- the only reason I know that is I still had a husk in my inventory, and uh, when we started this this last week. I was like, eh, I'm going to go play with it and took it to the dreadnought <laughs> like a fool. So Uni and, took a water pistol. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was picking up sand and throwing it. <laughs> I mean, I would totally take that into regular crucible so people could jump off bridges. Yeah. Like, I just got killed by the husk of the pit. And, I'm done. And, no and more. I, and I felt bad because I was like, no, nope, I'm just going to have to go ahead and upgrade it. And so I did, and I I turned it into Elon, and then it was, then it was like, okay, uh, grenade, melee, dead. Okay, (laughs) you know, at least I could kill things. So Um. (laughs) the husk of the pits is it's it's a primary, obviously, it's a white weapon, which is what everyone makes fun of it for. And it says desiccated and nigh inoperable. This hive artifact still manages to send shivers up your spine when fired. Now. Just like with the Eidolon Ally, this weapon also required a material to to go through an evolution, and that was the embalming orb. Now, this was a orb that you had to get from Eris Morn. And so, what this one what this one says is stolen from a hive chamber. What this tiny orb represents is unknowable and terrifying used to upgrade weapons of hive origin. And it kind of makes me wish that we had more weapons like this, because this was kind of, I mean, as as funny and as well, much fun as we poke at it, it was kind of an interesting <laughs> little side. It was a quest before we had quest, really, was what it kind of was. Yeah. But well, I, I... Is this not the same upgrade material that brought Murmur up? No. Uh, that that was, did we that not was, need... That was, uh, it was a different one. Uh, uh, murmur. Hang on, I've got it. 
while you look uh, that up, I'm gonna I'm gonna give Pins what he always likes hearing in the chat. This is an Osiris connection because embalming oh embalming was so the process of embalming is basically it's the process that preserves a corpse from decay which was originally done with spices and is actually now usually done with arterial injection of a preservative like you know formaldehyde or something like that um it also actually has a different definition that says to give pleasant fragrance to which is kind of funny because i would not associate hive with a pleasant fragrance now, Egypt, while not the oldest, is actually the most recognizable society who practiced this art, which is the art of embalming. And this stemmed from the belief that the preservation of the mummy empowered the soul after death, which allows the latter to return to the preserved corpse. So they actually had an entire, you know, there was an entire religious process behind this beyond just the, you know, the sanitary issue of preserving the corpse from decaying. They actually did. This was a very, very big part of their religious fields, and that that kind of leads into a, yet, yet another Egyptian connection within the game here. Because um, I'm, a, I mean, a lot of people assume that embalming originated with Egypt. It actually didn't. It was uh, it was a society in Chile, I think, that actually was doing embalming a couple. Of, thousand years before egypt but egypt is the well the most recognized society but well and yeah. there was embalming in mexico as well i mean yeah 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 yeah, yeah. uh the aztecs embalmed as well as well as a number and, of other tribes no i i'm almost certain that's the same upgrade material that you had to get for eris to get murmur okay I, I so mind. for murmur <laughs> you had to use what is called a ruling core. Damn it. And <laughs> a, ruling, a ruling core is uh, it, it the definition of it <sighs> is a weapon core inscribed using unsettling hive sigils used to upgrade weapons gifted from Eris. Uh that's the in game description. A sigil for anyone that doesn't know or doesn't feel like looking it up right now, is a symbol used typically in magic. Now, the and and we'll get back to murmur in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, since we've talked about the the crux and and we've kind of talked about the embalming orb, which looks almost just like the crux, it's just not a uh, doesn't have the yellow background. Um. This embalming orb is used to upgrade um, from husk to Elon, right? And we know that the husk has, um, I'm trying to pull it up now. Uh, the, 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 the husk actually had a um, um, effect where it literally was trying to bind with you. Um, if you read in the beginning, the, um, nigh and operable, yeah. nigh literally means near in place, time, or quote unquote relationship. Um, and the dissected right. in this instance means to dehydrate, dry up, or drain of emotional or intellectual vitality. So, essentially, this thing was trying to emotionally suck you dry. 
And by killing Hive, it was in essence practicing sword logic. Mm -hmm. But in doing so, as it became more powerful, you emotion you became more attached to it and you began to lose yourself in doing so now Edelon, kind of the same deal if, if, if you read Edelon's description um you know the idealized person thing specter phantom uh ally to you to uh to unite or form a connection uh or relation between it contains the embalming orb. Now, here's the whole... And this is the reason why I wanted to cover this before I go back to Thorn. If you pull up a picture of Thorn, look at the end of the barrel. There is a green jewel mm-hmm. in on the end of the barrel. Tell me that does not look like an embalming, embalming orb. orb. Yeah, that's a good point. Now, Edelon also says that it wants to be your friend. Correct. I feel like, and and this is just me. This is just a theory. And 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 I know we're supposed to wait to the end for spinful. (laughs) Justin never. I personally, I personally feel like these weapons are connected. Yeah, because we, we kind of talked about that, too, as far as when we get to, into the purpose. I think that's going to yeah. definitely be a piece of it, too. Yeah. And I, I'd agree. And, and there's, there's, I think, a lot of the references that you and I have discussed as far as Osiris and entering into the darkness. You know, do you have the strength to enter into the darkness and, and but also have the strength to come out and, right. and return to the light. Um, oh. I think, I think a lot of that was that Osiris and Tolan knew of these embalming orbs well before we did. And I believe he knew what Dredgen Yor was getting himself into either Osiris did or Tolan did. Well, cause this would also and, be bad juju. With the green correct. Yeah. And that's and what really surprised me when you didn't mention bad juju. Oh as well, a bad juju. Of sorrow. Um, there is I don't know. Bad juju is like the redheaded stepchild when it comes to weapons of sorrow. Everyone's really and we will talk about bad juju. Because bad juju, yeah. Uni Uni has a lot of good points and I think um shock shock the alien had a good i think it was shock was the one that was they had a couple really good points from on bad juju and so but i don't i don't think bad juju is a weapon of sorrow i think that it falls short of a weapon of sorrow and i think that is i almost kind of think it was by design i i like the theory that we'll discuss with bad juju because I don't think yeah. that bad juju was a failed experiment. I think nope. that you guys, I think you, I think the chat kind of hit the nail on the head when they kind of were talking about what their thoughts on bad juju were. And I'm kind of, I'm, I'm excited to get to bad juju definitely yeah. because that was, that was a really good one. And it leads into touch of malice, which touch of malice 
is a primary weapon. Most of us know about it. We just got access to it. It is a scout rifle. And it says, let them feel every lash, every curse, every touch of malice that they first dealt to me. That's Eris Morn. Says, here I am with the power to craft from my enemy's darkest secrets a weapon that could wound them at their core. So what stays my hand? When I behold the interiority of these cold, cold fragments, I see blind, squirming creatures. Every wound they give, they feel also upon themselves. Every bite they tear from the light only deepens, never fills the raging emptiness behind their terrible mouths. The voices are as loud as ever. My nightmares just as bitter. My coal-black hatred burns as hot. But I feel something else now. Could it be? No, I refuse it. I will build this weapon. Um, now, I, I mean, obviously, we know from the game that Eris is the one who builds the touch. So this Grimoire card is de- definitely her speaking. Um, you know, the cold fragments is... I wanted, what were those? Are those the... Hadium. 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 Are those, do you think flakes. do you think that's what she's talking about here, or do you think she is talking the fr- about the fragments? No, mm-hmm. I think she's talking about the calcified. Okay, fragments. that's what I was going to say. Is I took that because the, the calcified hadium, fragments, but I'm not sure. Yeah, because the hadium they're they're literally f- referred to as hadium flakes. Flakes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I so, I, so, I read that as the calcified fragments, but I didn't know, which is interesting. So that means that there are actually worms inside the calcified fragments. Um, real quick, just because we're on touch of malice, mm-hmm. I know Rev in chat was asking, "What is sword logic?" That's a, like a completely, a completely different conversation, but I think it ties in here. So the. Touch of Malice acts almost like a mini self-contained worm pact. To it, agree. Yeah. Because it consumes you a little bit, but it grants you a little bit additional power as you go. When you get on the last round, it will take a little bit of your health each shot, but it will grant you additional damage. Rev was asking what the sword logic is. That's a completely different that's a completely different entity from the correct from the worm pact, but it is basically the idea, the idea that when you vanquish something or defeat it, you prove yourself greater than it and you gain the power from being greater than that foe or yeah, whatever it is that you, it's you Darwinism on PCP is what it is. Yeah, it's no, I, the the most streamlined way to say it, I would say, would be literal Darwinism. Right, but it's it's, it's, it's literal. Um, yeah, yeah, but it's it's a more aggressive form of Darwinism. I mean, like it's Darwinism in its purest form, because yeah. it's literally but, only the survival of the strongest. But it's not just strong. That's the that's the other important thing that a lot of people don't don't grasp with sword logic and. And I don't I don't mean that as condescending as that sounded. I apologize. Um, the the thing about sword logic is that it's not just about sheer physical strength. Um, it's literally whoever is left standing, whether that be through trickery, whether that be through actual physical brutality, or you know just you know political 
manipulation. Cunning. It doesn't, yeah, cunning. Sorry, thank you. Yeah. It would be different for each person. Correct. But what's important is that the winner of sword logic is the last person standing. It doesn't matter how you got there. What matters is you're the last. Um, Toland in Ghost Fragment Darkness 3 has you know a really, really good explanation of what sword logic is. And I'll, if you guys don't mind, I'm going to read the, the atom real quick. Hit it. Um, yeah. It says, why do we have atoms? Because atomic matter is more stable than the primordial broth. Atoms defeated the broth. That was the first war. There were two ways to be, and one of them won. And everything that came next was made of atoms. Atoms made stars. Stars made galaxies. Worlds simmered down to rock and acid. And in those smoking primal seas, the first living molecule learned to copy itself. All of this happened by the one law, the blind law, which exists without mind or meaning. It is the simplest law. But it has no worshippers here. Out there, though. Out there. And then, of course, you know, our favorite quote. How do I explain it? It's so simple. Why don't you say? You know, that's Justin's favorite quote. He throws that at me every time I ask him a question. So, the uh, that's, that's, that's sword logic. Sword logic is that the simplest law is, you know, the blind law the the one that it has no mind or meaning it's literally just survival of the fittest and like i said fittest does not mean physical fitness necessarily it's also mental fitness if you can manipulate somebody to do something for you and then you come out on top you by sword logic you've won yeah. now that's and that's different. not and that's not off topic either because no. in essence what we're talking about here is the darkness when when we discuss weapons of sorrow, how they come to be, what they are, what they stand for, what they how they affect us, what we are literally talking about is the darkness. And I had totally forgotten I'd written this thing and I was gonna say it at the beginning and I and I totally forgot about it, but that's kind of what it was, was what we are doing when we study these weapons of sorrow is that we are studying the darkness. Mm-hmm. And we come across questions like this, like, well, crap, what is sword logic? Let, let me go find out. Let me go look into that. And so that that's that's not off topic. That's that's a brilliant question no. that plays plays in, you know, a, a part here. However, I would I you know, we we there was a Justin made a comment and I would re- return to that comment. There is a difference between sword logic and the worm pact. It's not a Correct. big difference. It's not a big difference, but there is a difference. The worm pact is almost the worm pact. The best way to explain for for my my brain, the best way to explain the worm pact is that the worm pact is literally the worms using sword logic on the hive. They are tricking the hive Correct. into doing what they want, and they are therefore fulfilling sword logic. In a way, it is sword logic, but it's a it's a step removed from pure sword logic. Now, that's why Oryx in um, the Book of Sorrows, when they realize the logical conclusion of what it means to be part of this worm pact, that's why he, that's why he says that they've been betrayed, that there is no way that they can you know, survive this. Because that is, that is their realization of, oh crap, we're, we're screwed. Like, we've been tricked and we've been duped. And then that's what leads into 
the assault on Akka and the taking, uh, no, I mean, his, his removing the power to take from Akka's sphere of influence. And he becomes the taken King after he realizes this, um, that is also sword logic. You know, I'm going to get probably st- stuff thrown at me for saying this, but sword logic is also visible in the crucible. We are learning by defeating our fellow guardians. That is sword logic. Sword logic. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Sword logic does not care whether it's right or wrong. There is no morality to it. It's just like it's, I mean, it is Darwinism. There is no morality in it. Now, the difference here is that the way that sword logic is used within the crucible and within the guardian ranks is a more allocentric or a more group oriented process. Whereas in the hive, in the darkness, in the deep, it's more egocentric. It's more um, individualistic. So a hive is concerned with, you know, him or herself becoming the top player. Whereas the guardians tend to be more of that pack mentality. Um, I think it was in this chat that I kind of threw the comparison. You know, the hive are the share. Con- so you're going um, Richard Kipling's, you know, the jungle book. The hive are more along the lines of the share con, the, the tiger, the individual hunter, the soul hunter, the super powerful hunter. The guardians are the wolf pack. They have the law of the jungle. They follow a group mentality, and they are stronger when they work together. Neither one is necessarily a quote-unquote better process. It's just a different way of approaching the situation. So that's my short explanation of how sword logic kind of works within destiny as far as I've come to understand it. I don't know so, if you guys want to um, weigh in on that one. Yeah, Blue, I actually have a kind of a, a take on sword logic versus worm pact. Mm-hmm. I think that might help. Um, whether you agree with it or not is completely up to you. But well, let's see. I view the sword logic I view the sword logic as the underpinning law, like an an immutable law of the hive physical universe. Like it it permeates everything. It's the it's it's one of the the very basic fundamental laws of their universe. The worm pact terror, however, is a bargain that was made within that set of laws. So they are intertwined, but um, not mutually exclu- exclusive. Um, I so I agree with the exception, and I'm sure you'll probably you'll probably know my exceptions. Uh, first off, I would not <laughs> say that it is confined to the physical realm. Um, I would say that, you know, Bife, Bife calls it the psycho-mutable netherverse. Uh, ah, okay, yeah, yeah. I think I'm that, with the, you on that the netherverse definitely has, because again, sword logic is not just physical brutality, it's also mental cunning. And the netherverse is definitely a realm full of will, not physical uh, manipulation. So, I, you know, I, that would be my first kind of i guess counter argument would be i don't think it's just bound to physical realms um and i also and, don't and i, I don't, could make peace with that yeah um i don't think it's just the hive i really don't i i know i know people don't like me when i say that but i don't think the hive are the only people who, i think everybody follows sword logic whether or not you want to admit it 
It's it's yeah. and that's and that's the point is that's the darkness three card. That's what Toland is like screaming about. Is you follow it regardless of if you think about it or not. That's his whole teleology, you know, argument. You know, teleology will stitch your eyelids shut. That's that's his whole thing. You know, this is just the way the world is, and whether or not you agree to it, you know, that's that's fine. But you're just putting pretty words on top of a of an animalistic truth, and again, I mean, then you have the whole the 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 queen example that he uses. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't think that it's just the hive. No, but the most important part of that that whole statement was not whether or not. It's just the hive or not whether or not it's just the physical universe. I wanted to make the distinction between the fact that sword logic is a set of laws that we that we abide by and that we operate in. And the worm pact is a set is a bargain that was made within that set of laws. So it's worm pact doesn't equal. Um, worm pact doesn't equal sword in the realm. It it doesn't equal sword logic, but it exists within the realm of sword logic, so it is subject to sword logic. Right. Does yes, that make yes, sense? Yes, 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 yes. I yeah. would agree to that. That's where I was trying to go with that. Yeah. I wasn't trying to make it any is, broad it is sweeping bound, statements it is bound about by the parameters of sword logic, but sword logic is not bound by the parameters of the worm pact. Yeah. So whether that's right or not is up to you guys. <laughs> no, no. I mean, yeah. I would, I would agree with that completely. Um, and yeah, your examples sounded way better than mine. Mine were just overly <laughs> simplified, you know, crucible things. So yeah, I'll keep that to myself. <laughs> um, so and that brings us to the. That's what that brings us to the next set of weapons, which I'm I'm labeling kind of as quote unquote unknown weapons, um, just simply because they didn't fit the parameter of weapons of sorrow that the chat came up with. But some of them kind of have the flavor and feel of a weapon of sorrow. So, and the first one is the bad juju, which I know we kind of have already butted heads over. Yeah. You want me to read that one? Yes, please. If you would go ahead and grab that one. So it starts out with a tolling quote. If you believe your weapon wants to murder all existence, then so it will. Um, There must be a structured mechanical explanation for this weapon's hunger for combat. There must be, but none has been found. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's the card for bad juju. There's, there's a lot of really interesting information on bad juju. And I literally had to pull myself away from the computer. Um, it's funny though, because it has the fewest notes. I know. Um, well, it has the fewest notes on this section. (laughs) If you if you go down to the show notes, there's a there's a substantial what? amount of bad juju notes. Yeah, yeah, it's um. Oh man, um, 
so all right so let me let me let me get to the notes in the in the show notes because I'm, I'm i was looking on the map as well and i just um like i said i i had to uh i had to pull myself away okay yeah um so bad juju was made by Tolan. correct and um he we feel like he was trying to make a weapon of sorrow and that's one of the reasons i was going back and saying that i believe that tolan knew of the the power of these embalming orbs and he knew of um how the hive were altering and augmenting uh guardian weapons and things long before we did um but yeah, it's uh, it was an experiment by Tolan to make a weapon of sorrow that benefited guardians instead of corrupting them. Um, and that's interesting because he was literally trying to take that hive magic or that hive technique of creating weapons. And instead of them corrupting us, they gave us strength. So Bad Juju, as an example... Uh, you know, you have the string of curses perk. Uh, upon every kill, it automatically reloads, uh, which just allows you to put out more DPS. Mm-hmm. Um, as you kill, you gain bonus super energy. And um, so that weapon, in essence, for what he was trying to do, is a massive success. And me personally, and you guys can probably fill me in on this because there, there was a lot of the chat I couldn't follow. I just couldn't keep up. But I don't understand how this weapon can be viewed as a failure. Um, it's. I think it's a matter of perception, right? <clears throat> a lot of people see this as his attempt to make a weapon of sorrow. I don't think that it is a weapon of sorrow. I think everyone kind of agrees that it is not a weapon of sorrow. It is an attempt to make a weapon of sorrow. But the point that the chat made, and I think this is the one that you're talking about, is I think he was trying to make a weapon of sorrow that didn't harm the Guardians when they used it, right? Right. And in that sense, it's not a failure. It's actually a pretty big success. Exactly. Because it gives you the quote-unquote, air quotes here, benefits of a weapon of sorrow, but it doesn't have the negative effects. <clears throat> now, just really quick, because I just want to point this out. A juju is a object in, in, <laughs> in our world. Uh, it's, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, you know me. I can't help but with the trivia stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> Justin's going to, like, kill me after this. It's a ju- it. juju or objects such as amulets and spells used in religious practice and it was predominantly found in witchcraft in West Africa. Um, the uh, the juju, which is what a lot of people you know call that, that actually came about in the 19th century um, when it became applied to traditional West African religions. The uh, that that all and that of course all came over to Americas from West Africa with the influx of all the slaves during the Atlantic slave trade and that whole thing, but. Uh, juju is sometimes used to enforce a contract or ensure compliance 
And so like in what the example that I'm seeing, it says in a typical scenario, a juju spell would be placed on a, yeah, I'm not reading that explanation because that gets really detailed really fast. Uh, let's go to the next one. The witch doctor <laughs> casting the spell requires a paper. Oh, like no, that, that I'm like, I want to, I want to keep our, our friendly, friendly voting or friendly rating on that. That, that got dark fast. Um, since the witch doctor casting the spell requires a payment for the service, juju is also commonly used in an attempt to affect the outcome of football games. I don't know. So, um, yeah, so juju is actually an object that was used what is happening? Just practice. I just, I just got, I got completely sidetracked by trivia information because that's just the way my brain works. But going back, um, yeah, so <laughs> it's an experiment by Tolan to make a weapon of sorrow. And if you look at it as, hey, we're trying to create a replica of a weapon of sorrow, then, yeah, it's a failed experiment. But if you look at it as a weapon of sorrow that benefits guardians instead of corrupting them, because he was using his knowledge of, like you're saying, the embalming orbs and the sword logic and everything which we know he knows a lot about sword logic if you look at it that way the failed experiment is actually the exact opposite it's actually a very successful design and i think you uni i think you were gonna i think you had an idea about red death in there oh oh please do okay (laughs) so i've i've actually i actually found quite a few things um and and this relates to bad juju and touch of malice as well. Um <clears throat> yes, I I fully believe that um Red Death and Red Spectre Red Spectre are related. I do believe even though it's not stated anywhere in the grimoire, um I do believe that Tolan, um, um, these were prototypes, if you will. Um, the reason I feel that is because Tolan was known to use an auto rifle called Shadow Price. If you look at the weapon frame for Shadow Price, and then look at the weapon frame for Red Spectre, they are almost exactly identical. Um, if you look at the weapon frame of Red Death, it is almost exactly identical. Now, yes, Red Death is a pulse rifle. And that's one of the funny things that's always, you know, puzzled people about Red Death was that it's clearly an auto rifle frame, but it's a pulse rifle. That leads me back to Bad Juju. If you look closely at the weapon frame of Bad Juju, it is actually a scout rifle frame. It is Mm -hmm. actually the same scout rifle frame from, I believe it was Vanilla Destiny. I believe it was a Vanguard weapon called the Cryptic... I believe it was the Cryptic Dragon. Oh, yeah. And... And if you, there's actually the manufacturer's logo 
at the top of the weapon frame, and on Bad Juju, that same logo is right there. I'm not going to get into that logo because that sent me down a whole <laughs> other path that connects to other things, and it's just, ah. Oh. Um, forces of the city. That's all I got to say. Anyway. Um, Everything comes back to them. Everything keeps coming back to them. Oh, oh, oh okay, okay. Look, the next time you dismantle a caloric dragon, I think is what it's called. It, it has that same manufacturer logo on the site. Okay. If you look just to the rear of the caloric dragon, mm-hmm. there is half of the FOTC logo. <clears throat> anyway, uh, moving on. <laughs> I um, feel so bad because I've dismantled so many of those and I never <laughs> caught that. <sighs> it's because you well, have to equip I, I it just, to see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that's your problem. That must to, be it. That's your problem. I, I just so happen to have one. I, I just so happen to have one. Uh, and I, I logged in the other night when I got on this. And admittedly, I had never seen the manufacturer logo at the top of the frame on Bad Juju. And I was like, oh, that's got to be on another weapon. So I started looking and I was like, oh, my God, look at all these scout rifles that have this, you know. And so I'm, I'm going through and I'm like, all right, what all weapons have this? There's actually quite a few. Um, mainly scout rifles, though. Um, I found a lot of other things I'm not going to get into that has nothing to do with this. Uh, but um, anyway, uh, the weapon frame for Bad Juju is the exact weapon frame that you have to obtain or that you're given in the first step of Touch of Malice. I'll just leave that right there. <laughs> I, it, it, it may be... It may, it may be... Wait a, a second. <laughs> well, okay. What but are that, we talking I, about? Yeah, so that, that <laughs> leads into what Josh was talking about in the chat when he said Bad Juju is the Weapons of Sorrow with the Pocket Infinity is the Vex Mythoclass. And I'm gonna, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read the quote because I couldn't I can't say this better. It says, "When you look at Tolan's legacy, you find Tolan's journal and start crafting a weapon whose creative process is similar to Husk to Edelon to Necro. The Hive Arcana instilled is unknown into what degree it has no Hive components within it, and it seems to be almost wholly a Guardian weapon." And he says, I think Whisper is right that Tolan would have had to try, would have tried to craft a, a weapon of sorrow in his truest incarnation and simply couldn't. Something in Bad Juju was missing doesn't make it a bad gun or even a poor imitation. So it's, it's again, it's not, it's not a failed experiment. In fact, exactly. Bad Juju could have been the f- the prototype, and I think this is what Uni is going for, is Bad Juju could have been the prototype for Touch of Malice. Yeah. I I, I, I really kind of think so. But, uh, meh. <laughs> well, meh. And I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> well, because I, I well, see Red Death as the, the antithesis or the inverse of the Touch of Malice, so I'd be more Wrong to go that way with it. Well, and the here's the thing though, is that we all know that 
and and it's 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 in the books of sorrow that Oryx laid out the plans. Mm-hmm. Correct. Um. And 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 again, this is this is um, a seventy-five foot roll of spinful, and I'm and I'm willing to go out on a limb, but I'm just saying, who's to say that Tolan didn't already know this, right. or that Tolan through studying and finding things that we just don't know, even at that time in Vanilla Destiny, um, of the story. It's very possible he he clearly knew things that you know we we didn't. Well, I think we, he was on to something. He even he may not have known what he was on to, but there are too many coincidences here um to just dismiss it. For me to just brush so, it off. Why why did he use his secrets like weapons to kill us all? Is that what you're asking? I don't no. think he uses well. I have a whole different. <laughs> I have a large. I have a very large spinfoil theory about Toland completely. <clears throat> but we also do have, you know, on that note, we do have a segment of the Books of Sorrow that sounds like a lot like Toland talking to Oryx. Majestic, majestic. You know, there there is that, that doesn't make any freaking sense. But you know, if you're all of a sudden realizing that. Toland perished and was sent into the netherverse to here's the other thing to Toland. You know what he's doing? He's been mapping the netherverse. Hey, what is that thing? What's that title that we keep calling Oryx? The navigator. What does a navigator need? Maps, a map. What is, what is Toland been doing this entire freaking time? We always assume that he's mapping it out for something like Osiris or for himself or for the guardians. What if he's mapping it out for Oryx? You know, we I know uh, in the general chat, Dragon and I were going back and forth in a really, really convoluted stream of consciousness talking about the end game. And that was kind of the, the connection that we were making too was it's like, what if, you know, what if, this is a huge spin foil, but what if Oryx isn't actually dead? What if he's using yeah. the, the cartography of Toland to navigate his way through the Netherverse in the same capacity that Zivu Arath and Savathun did when he killed them in the Sword World? You know, we have instances of Hive being killed and coming back after they've been defined. Well, what's defining Oryx? The Touch of Malice. You ripped his heart out. You put his heart into the Touch of Malice. You are defining him every time you fire that weapon. Yeah. But also, and this is kind of off topic, I think another part of the reason we were we were able to defeat Oryx in the first place was we were able to defeat him, and we did not desire to take up his mantle, take his place. He did not understand that, thus he could not fulfill his purpose – and or that's how we were able to. Or get, did he? Yeah. Well, I, I'm just saying. I'm just I know, saying. I mean, I'm, I'm, he I, can't, I hear that. But what my point is, is, or did he? Did he know that we wouldn't take up the mantle? Well, and did I don't he think use Oryx that can us? understand. He doesn't. He doesn't need to understand. If he has access to Toland, he has all the information on a guardian that he really probably needs. 
Well, I'm just saying I don't think Oryx would understand a power that would usurp him and and not assume. Right. Yeah, exactly. I don't think that's something he's equipped. I don't think he has the context with which to understand it. You know what I mean? It's it's almost like this. If you take something in the natural world like a predator, like say you take a mountain lion. Mm -hmm. A mountain lion kills its prey, eats its food, right? That's it. That's all day long. That's all it's worried about, right? If if you then introduce that same predator to, say, a human hunter that kills its prey and doesn't eat a thing, it would have zero context with which to reconcile that that dynamic. I know this is a reach because the mountain lion's not thinking. Right. Or, was, you know, was, it's not. No, no, I see what you're uh, saying. It's a it's a reach. I'm just saying there's no. There's, there's, it's not only that he can't understand it, it's there's zero precedent for it in his life, in his existence. Right. Which would A, make him curious about it, which would be fulfilling his nature. And B, he would also view it as his weakness, as a weakness of ours. I mean, it's a lack of understanding. It's a lack of understanding, but to him, that's something that he can use as a weakness. And he can, uh, yeah, we're going to need to. Get back on weapons, sorry, because we could go. Oh my God, we could go for hours on this topic because I have so, been banging my head against the wall with it. Honestly, um, I'll take Black Spindle. Sounds good. If we are, yeah, yeah, let's do. So, the sexiest weapon that was ever crafted <laughs> from five magics. Oh, that's not the flavor text. Okay, this is. If you've ever fired a Black Spindle, you know. You know what an orgasm feels like. No, I'm just <laughs> so that's not so. going on a t-shirt. <laughs> I mean, it could. It could work. <laughs> so, the black spindle. Your only existence shall be that which I weave for you out of sorrow and woe. The followers of Crota swing hammers, sing death songs. Fatal, final, absolute. Ear Halak and Ear Nuke laugh at Crota. Finality is a child's plaything. Fit for one such as Crota, they say. No hammer for the unraveler and the weaver, but a spindle wound with woe. For their foes, no end of suffering. Wow. So this is the year two iteration of the best weapon ever created in the existence of video games. Pre nerf, pre nerf. Now it's. Not I so don't good. care what you say. Now it's not. So I don't good. care. It was the black spindle, dude. Not the black spindle. The black hammer. <laughs> well, obviously it's year one. No, they took you away the, the infinite it, ammo. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You don't need infinite ammo if you're good. Come on. Anyways. The Black Spindle, um, previously called Black Hammer. Um, it is amazing. I don't care what Blue says. If you oh, don't I have love, it, I run out and get rifles. you one. Go through the headache to get yeah. one. Oh, it's so awesome. But um, so the original the original version was the Black Hammer, and it, it was mostly predicated on the White Nail perk, which was uh, – Broken from day one. Correct. Yeah. Well, correct me, Uni, if I'm wrong. 
Precision right. hit precision hits return ammo to the magazine. Was that the was that the perk? Correct. Yeah. So if you could land precisions, you had infinite ammo, essentially. Correct. Goliath tanks were dead so fast. Archon beast down. Yeah. All the whining, all the whining. How big is the mag on the black spindle? Four. Does anyone four. remember? Four. Huh? Four. No, no, it's four, but how big's the reserve? Oh, uh, 12. Well, depending on whether you had the boots or not, you know. <laughs> yeah. Was it I can't 16? remember. Is it 16? I don't know if it was 16. 12. Or I think it might have been 12. 12, I 16. I don't have one, so okay. I don't know. Either way, 12 shots in a row on any boss is a good burn cycle. So if you're bitching about the nerf. No, 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 no. My, my problem, well, <laughs> and like the the nice thing about the hammer and the was that if you did the precision, you got reloads without having to reload animate. Right. Yeah. Except that was, that was the nice, nice part about it. Yeah. So, but the black spindle is, it looks like a, uh, um, it looks like a regular sniper rifle dipped in hive hiviness. <laughs> it has, it has barnacles <laughs> at all the way at the tip. I'm totally and quoting a you. Bit, a little bit at the base. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's amazing. I don't know what else to say. We don't know where it came from. Sniper we don't know who did sniper hive hiviness. <laughs> Justin, it, do you like this gun? <laughs> it's amazing. Okay. It's amazing. It's the only gun. It's the I just, only gun. I just wanted to make sure if we were getting a biased opinion or not. You know, no, no. Like honestly, it's the only gun I feel as strongly about as the Vex Mythoclast. Okay, I would delete every other. Now, now, albeit yeah, he, he does. There's love his your, There's a no. There's a blueprint for the Mythoclast, so it's been deleted a couple times and then repurchased. But so good, so very good. Yeah, I I think it's actually I think it's actually kind of cool. I say cool. Maybe that's maybe that's not a, a a very good phrase, but I think it's interesting that Oryx does not feel that Black Hammer was good enough for his his daughters, which I, I we all know that everyone looked down on on Crota. He was a <laughs> poor Crota. He was like the <laughs> he was the runt. Yeah, and but I, I still think it's it's kind of interesting. That it's like not even his weapons are good enough for me. You know, <laughs> well, I was but like, I don't oh, think here. I don't think it was Oryx that said this. I think it was his sisters, Halak and Anuk, that said that it wasn't good enough. Uh, no, wait a minute. Hang on. Let me. Because Halak and the Halak and the Nook are the Weavers, and uh, I can't remember what the other one is. I remember talking to Bo about this too, and he made a point that I think it's ear is a sign of respect, and I don't know if that's actually correct, but I, I remember him saying something about that, and it was it was interesting because ear. Whenever you see a wizard with ear in front of their name, it's always a death singer. So that's the only time that you'll see ear in the named characters. 
Yeah, I I just assumed, and and maybe this is uh, just my ignorance pouring out of the cup, but I just assumed that um, this was Oryx speaking here at the end, where he says, "No hammer for the un- unraveler and the unweaver, but a spindle for their foes, no end of suffering." And that's why for their foes, um, if if this was mm, the sisters yeah. speaking, they would have said for our, our foes. foes, yeah. Or, you know, depending on their dialect. Right, yeah. Um, no, I but, can see that. I can see that. Um, I just love the digs at Crota in this one. Yeah, no, it's, no, honestly, think about though. A hammer swings, a hammer falls, there's a hammer blow, and then it's done. Right. A spindle, a spindle is... A, never ending. I mean, it's literally... Exactly. It's, well, yeah. in our physical world, it's ending, but... In in this in this nightmarish, hellish version of a reality, it's not. It's it's an unending cycle of woe. Right, and a lot of people, you know, a lot of people say for the war that this is that's, the war priests would argument. agree. Yeah, the war priests would totally agree. But a lot of people <sighs> make the argument that the black spindle is a weapon of sorrow. Um, however. The problem is, is that based off the parameters, there's not really an effect on the wielder that we know of. Except for that we know of. You're okay. forgetting awesomeness. Okay, except for Justin's. I feel 110 percent more awesome when I'm shooting black spindle. So, except for except I'm for just... some some unverified <laughs> cases of delusions of grandeur, um, there is no effect <laughs> on the wielder for the black spindle. Yeah, and, I, as, and and as far as magic, outside of Justin's barnacles, <laughs> there's barnacles. No, it's it's hivey hiveness, is what it is. Hive hiveness. Hive yeah. hiveness. Um, yeah, I I don't I don't I don't think any of and as far as like the the Crota raid weapons, I mean, I I think they're just altered. Right. Right. Normal altered. Same, uh, with, same with murmur, which is well, you have to use a, and that's my only thing with murmur. If we didn't have to use a core, oh, a weapon core that had magical inscriptions on it, and shove it in, if we didn't have to do that, then I wouldn't. You know, I, I've, I, I. I, I I'm sorry. I have to argue that Murmur is almost, yes, there's no effect on us. There's no, you know, psycho-altering or anything like that going on. There's still Hive Magic in that weapon. Right, and right, right. So it's the, a partial. It's a partial Weapons of Sorrow. But again, correct, until correct, we correct. Get, until we get more information on if it actually does... Anything. I mean, Murmur. Oh God, man, I love Murmur. Murmur was and so much fun. Can I read? Can I read the flavor text for Murmur? Because it's my favorite. It's my favorite flavor text in the whole game. Sure. It's it's right behind Jabber Hockey, which says, "Beware my gun." <laughs> I love um, Jabber Hockey. <laughs> just for the name, the, I hate the guns, but I love the name. <laughs> that's the second best, but the the best, and and this is so metal, but it says. The hive have learned our secrets. Take them back with fire and lightning. <laughs> it's the best. Yeah, no, I like Murmur because 
the fact that you could change the damage type and dealing with solar or arc burn nightfalls was so much easier with that little thing because it you didn't yeah. have to worry about having a separate gun. You just flip the switch and you're good to go. Yeah. So that brings us to the end of the agreed weapons of so- weapons of sorrow and then the three that kind of are unknown um we did talk we did give a nod to the crota end crota's ends weapons um again i i kind of agree with you and i i don't think any of these are weapons of sorrow just simply because again given the parameters they might be augmented and they were originally guardians but there's no there's no known effect on the wielder right and, so, and I would say all these weapons, all the raid weapons, are weapons that were lost um, by Guardians attempting to assault Crota. And they just grew hive barnacles, you know? Like, <laughs> and that's, that's the best way of – like, it's, there there's goes. no there other goes. way to put that's, it. That's what happened. We, we now have confirmation. They weren't actually it's augmented by the hive. They were just sitting there for a long time, and no one, no one yeah. decided to uh, – what is it to uh what's the what's the term i'm not a sailor what's the term for scraping barnacles scrape off? the barnacles yeah i think it's called scraping barnacles i think oh, it's the term it's... for scraping barnacles. swab swab the poop deck i don't know i don't know what you're talking about so <laughs> did the same thing happen to eris's ship yeah that's yes right. yes yeah yeah yes okay. it did all right it's a hive thing. It's <laughs> there's salt in the air, and you got to <laughs> you got to wax that. You wax it. Oh, God. <laughs> so, oh, um, I think the I think the best way I think the best way to go about the the raid weapons is just let's just talk about our favorite Crota raid weapon. What was my favorite, or what was the one that I used a lot? <sighs> Uh, I'm not going to argue semantics with you, Blue. No, Which because one? those are different answers. I'm not joking. Those are completely what different was your, answers. What was your favorite? How about that? That would, that, that would be a toss-up between Word and uh, Oversoul. Word of Crota. Word Oversoul. and Oversoul? Oversoul Edict, yep. Oversoul just simply because it had the uh, – you hold down and just watch things melt. Now, Word the one the-, the one that I used the most, that would be the Song of Eryu. Because oh my god, knights could not stand up to that thing. Okay. okay. Or well, hunger too, because of the I had worst raid weapons. <laughs> By the way, it is about to be the worst storm here ever. So if you lose me, that's why. Um, no, I was just gonna say, uh, how about Swordbreaker? I never got one. What? I still haven't gotten one. That was like the one that like I spent I spent two months chasing that stupid shotgun before I finally was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm done. Oh my god, blue. Swordbreaker in Vault of Glass. Oh was... no, believe me, I am well aware because our entire raid team had them and I was stuck oh with Oh my Word god. Of Word of Crota does pretty fair, but yeah, Swordbreaker in Vault <clears throat> Swordbreaker in Vault no. just wrecks face. Praetorian comes up and it's like, hey, Praetorian, no, sit no, down. bad sit Praetorian, down. sit. 
Sit, Ubu. My sit. sink plate. <laughs> it's my sink plate. Ain't no calm fluxes up in her. Um, <laughs> no, I I think my two favorite were my two favorite. Uh, I I do mention um, Swordbreaker. It was awesome, but probably my two most used, most favoritest weapons from Crota were uh, Black Hammer and Fang. Fang of your Ute was awesome. Yeah, Fang. Um, Fang I got near the end, <clears throat> but. I'm always I've always been more of a hand cannon fan. Uh so that's But Word is such a subpar hand cannon. Uh, okay, well here's here's the story with Word. I never I didn't get a Fatebringer for the longest time, right? So like I was <clears throat> I actually got my Word of Crota like a month or two before I got my Fatebringer. And so Word was actually the first raid hand cannon that I got. And the one that I the I liked the uh, Firefly or the exploding rounds and Firefly on it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Firefly is if you want me to uh, keep a weapon, put Firefly on it. I will probably just live with that weapon indefinitely. But I, I can't I can't really say that I have a favorite or anything. Um the only weapon I ever got from Crota was Light of the Abyss, which I only killed Crota once. So, and that was a that was a thing where a guy sent me a message and he was like, "Hey, you want to help us kill Crota?" And I was like, "Uh, yeah." And I jumped in and I got a Light of the Abyss, and that was the only only time. Do you know how funny it is how good Black Hammer was in in a Dark Below? Yeah, I, I, I I watch YouTube. Oh my god! <laughs> I I literally my first exotic drop. My first exotic drop was uh, icebreaker from yep. a crow to heart. Oh, and, my first uh, icebreaker I got. What was my first exotic period? Was an icebreaker. Well, it's, yeah. Well, it's funny because everyone was going on and on and on and on and on and on about don't, icebreaker. Don't don't finish. Well, in that same, I won't talk to you for the in rest that of the week. same. No, in that same Crota run that Icebreaker dropped, Black Hammer dropped. And it was kind of like, sorry about your luck, Icebreaker. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry, but there's a bigger batter boy on the block. And his name's, his name's Black Hammer. So there'll be a, there'll he, be a uh, host change next week when Justin's on. He doesn't TV. have the recoil of a god dang elephant gun. <laughs> Oh yeah, Link God. says Breaker and Black Hammer. Um, so, yeah. so speak, speaking of Black Hammer, do we have anything whatsoever on the Runestone that um, you get the black, from the Black, the black Hammer. Hammer Runestone? No, yeah, not, not really. Um, I know that you can turn it in for I think it's Eris Morn Rep. But all Boo. all we have is the flavor text that says this strange rune was left over from when you dismantled the black hammer. Its markings are hive, but I can't make any more sense of it. Ghost. Now it does kind of look like a, a hadium flake, a little bit. The image yeah. does, but I I mean I don't I. That's that's all I could find on the black hammer runestone. Yeah, me me too. I I looked and I looked and there's just pfft, nothing. 
And I, you know, I just couldn't understand why they would, you know, put that in there. But I don't know. I guess they figured people would be black, you know, dismantling their black hammers for what? I don't know. How, what would you get? Like two hundred and fifty yeah, reps? Shizzler, you know, Shizzler turned to they're still uh, in the chat. Two fifty rep, I think. The other yeah, fun thing you gotta is gotta get the, that Aris Morn rep up. <laughs> <laughs> the other one is Fang of Your Utes flavor text. Uh, it kind of reminds me a lot of the Young Anhamkara spine and the Void Fang vestments. It says, "This is the shape and point of the tooth. Nothing has ever lived that will not die." And the Young Ahamkaras says, "Give me your arm, O bearer mine. Let me help you fill the world with teeth." And then Void Fang says, "You will dream of teeth and nothing else." And it's scratched behind a buckle. I, it was just a, it was an interesting little, there was a lot of the tooth piece of that was kind of interesting to me. It's also a callback to a reference that we found in Dune to the Exixian people. Um, but we won't, we won't bore you guys with that one because that will be, I'm saving that whole connection for when we finally get to talk about the Taken. But I think so there's there's a couple of different ideas from chat real quick that I want to I, I do want to touch on or touch on. We already talked about what what makes a weapon of sorrow, right? The parameters, um, the known weapons of sorrow. Again, we've we've kind of touched on thorn, necrochasm and touch of mouse. Now, the question also that came up in chat was, you know, what was the purpose of the weapons of sorrow? You know, what, what, what exactly were they? And we kind of talked about these known weapons to kind of see if we could dig, dig a little bit deeper into it. Now there's, there is another Osiris connection that I'm going to get into. And it's actually, I kind of found this one really fascinating, but for Thorn, for example, it's, you know, the eater of hope and the, um, that that kind of stems from I think this is these most of these concepts kind of came from coed beast mostly. Um, Eater of Hope was an, an it's an interesting connection because we know that Crota was called the Eater of Hope, and we also know that Yor was obsessed with consuming hope, you know, destroying hope, crushing hope, and so there was a there was a kind of a theory going around that maybe. Maybe this was a form of paying tribute to Crota because Crota is known as Eater of Hope. Yor was obsessed with destroying hope and the consumption of light. And this kind of led to us even asking, was light kind of fueling a transformation in, in, in Yor into a new form of a, a weapon to be used against the light by the hive? And that would be kind of the understanding that the entire purpose of Weapons of Sorrows are, is literally to corrupt the Guardians, to, to corrupt the wielder of that Weapon of Sorrow. So we know that the Hive don't use the weapons. And, you know, only Guardians use those weapons. So the theory was that the entire purpose of Weapons of Sorrow is akin to like a, a Trojan horse in the form of a weapon or... Damo made the point of, you know, these kind of being similar to the rings of power from the Lord of the Rings from Tolkien. The weapon spreads sorrow through the wielder who must themselves be full of sorrow to begin with. And, you know, there's then there also the idea that they exist only to tempt guardians with untold power at the cost of their own hope, as is shown in your 
and this is also really similar to um, real quick the uh, the idea of them as a as a uh, firearm version of Trojan horses is very similar to the Ahamkara. They, you know, they're, these are things that kind of worm themselves into a deal with the wielder, but then they all of a sudden are starting to ask for a price that is greater than people might realize. It's it's a it's a basically a firearm version. And uh, Justin, you kind of said this earlier. It's a firearm variation of the worm pact. Now. There is an interesting connection on Thorn because Thorn's effect is called, there's a perk on Thorn called Mark of the Devourer. Now, the connection here to Osiris is, you have to kind of dig into the Osiris mythology here a bit, but there there is a process in Osiris which is called the judging of the soul, and that is also known as the trial ma'at. And we talked about this on the Osiris episode a bit, but there is a part of that process that after after the the supplicant has been found whether if they've been found worthy or not worthy they are either those who have been found worthy are first then purified by passage through what's called the flame island where they experience the triumph over evil and then rebirth into aru which is the the egyptian paradise now there's a connection there also with the lighthouse on mercury because mercury is a fire planet and the only people who are able to go to mercury are those who are found worthy so the entire trial of Osiris was kind of a version of the trial of Maat. Now, those who are not found ver- worthy are fed to an entity called, and this entity is the demon whose name is Amit. And it's the entity which the souls of the dead are fed if they are not found worthy to entrance into Aru in the trials of Maat. And they are fed to this demon who is a part lion, part hippopotamus, and part cro- crocodile. The reason why that random combination is those are actually the three largest man-eaters in the Egyptian world. The cool thing about Amit is that quite often this, this demon is portrayed as a crocodile with a mane. Now, if you look at the Mark of the Devourer perk icon and you flip it up, like if you flip it over, it actually is very similar to the hieroglyph for Amit. And the name of Amit in the Egyptian text is the Devourer. So the mark of the Devourer on the thorn weapon is actually, I, I kind of think, is another nod to the Osiris mythology. But that's just my personal need to attribute everything to Osiris. And then that also brought us to the question of what if Rose was the hibernating form of Thorn and Uni? I think you had, were you going to want to, did you want to still talk about the perception piece of Rose? I think we kind of covered it. Okay. I mean, you guys talked about it earlier. It's, it's not so much that, it's not so much that the weapon itself changed, it's it's that he w- once he finally succumbed, you know once once you were finally succumbed to the darkness and just said oh, okay, you know we're gonna do this, you know he looked at everything differently, and his weapon was the closest thing to him, and so, you know yeah he saw the weapon differently, you know right. he what he once perceived as rose petals. In its own psychotic way, um, he now saw his thorns. Um, 
Yeah. I believe a lot of people. I believe a lot of people think that the weapon looked differently before, and the and the one that we get is Thorn. You know, after augmentation. Mm-hmm. Personally, I don't feel like Thorn ever augmented per se. The argument, you know, the, you know what I mean, right? Right. The argument against that was the whole thing of people didn't recognize who Dredgen Yor was, right? Yet we know that Yor was a famous guardian who defended hope with his rose. And so it was, I think, and if I remember the argument was if, if Rose always looked like thorn, then why wasn't anyone sitting there going, Hey, that guy has blankety blanks, you know, hand cannon. And I, I think the other thing is like you were saying earlier too, is that that green jewel on thorn you know, mm-hmm. we know that if we introduce a weapon to the embalming orb or into or to the crux or whatever, that that weapon goes through a physical transformation. So if that is actually a form of embalming, then what is to prevent, you know, given what happened to the husk, why wouldn't Thorn have a similar response? Right. Yeah, and I, you know, I mean, I can buy that because... And, and and maybe I'm relying on the year one story too much, mm-hmm. you know, and and that could be my fault, you know, because no, I'm mean, taking I'm just it thinking. Yeah, I, mean, I, I I can totally see that, you know, uh, we clearly saw in Dark Below how a weapon could change from Husk of the Pit to to Necrochasm. Mm-hmm. And clearly there's some physical changes, even if it's just colors. Yeah, I mean, there's even some if physical it's not changes that happen. I mean, if you think about, if you think about it, the dropping off of petals to reveal thorns—that's not a significant change necessarily. You know, it but there been, is a change. No, 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 there is a change. But what I'm saying is, it doesn't have to be like this dramatic twisting of metal, blah blah blah. It could have just been, you know, yeah. it 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 actually could have been. I'm I'm just kind of thinking off the top of my head here, but it could have been that the gun was more like, you know, I, I'm going to get yelled at, but it could be more like the last word where it was a smooth barrel. And then the augmentation kind of rippled, rippled out those, those sheaves of metal. You know, it could have been like a, you you know what I'm saying? Like an an unfolding of metal. So it's not yeah, a, it's like not a, a significant change. Yes, exactly. It's not a, yeah. I mean, it's not a significant change, but it is a change and it's a change enough to not recognize the weapon as the former weapon. I could, I could. Yeah. And, and, that. and it could have been, it could have also been as simple as a color change. Correct. The, co- the, the, the weapon could have been lighter, right. like, you know, um, the well, last word or, right, right. You know, it could have, it could have been a. Yeah, it, it could have just been a a, a metal barrel, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it could have been a, a a dirty metal or something like that, and it changed to a darker, you know, the darker tint that we see today. Um, and it and it has this green on the end of it, and right. you know, I, you know, I. No, 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 and and, and okay. yeah, it's it's thorn is definitely one of the ones that, and like I said, we we had a lot of discussion around. Um, yeah. Now, necrochasm, the effects that we kind of see with necrochasm is, you know, obviously the explosion. But then there's also the, the, the sense that there's an aggression 
there's there's an increased aggression of the wielder it kind of it gives us this this uh boost to our rage and it's a you know necrochasm is often attributed to a handheld or firearm version of sword logic because of the way that it literally cannibalizes hive to grow um yeah i don't can't think of anything else on necrochasm that we haven't already touched on. Well, I hate to bring up Osiris again. No. <laughs> um, pen, and and I think you. I asked, I think, <laughs> I think um, I asked you about this earlier in the week uh, for confirmation, but uh, if you look at, oh, what is it, the... Um, all right, so I, I've I've got a note here, so I'm just going to read it. It'd be easier for me to do that. The question asked at the end of the card as a warning of oh, the weapon's potential yeah. power screams Osiris to me, mainly because of the following line from the parable, parables of the offspring. offspring right, 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 right. The courage to walk into the darkness, but strength to return to the light. Now that's that's parables of the offspring which is clearly tied to Osiris. So now I'm going to read the last two lines on the Necrochasm flavor text. Um, Is your light bright enough to stand, even briefly, in full gaze of the hive's abyss? Can it handle what has died and been reborn in those shadows? And again, I, I go back and I... I think Osiris and Tolan were exchanging notes, and I think they knew a lot more than either they thought they knew, or they're like us, and we're looking at stuff, and like, I, you know, I know this is something, but I don't know what it is. Um, I think they knew a lot more than what they, what they were, you know, either leading on to, or what they were even knew, but man, there's a lot of connections. Right. Because I think you were I mean, saying the ghost fragment, moon dreams of Alpha Lupi, and parable yes. of the offspring, and Thorn. Yes. All mentioned um, the power to go into the dark side and come back unscathed. Correct. Ghost ghost fragment moon. Um, I'll kind of end of down at the end. I think it is uh, your voice moves as a whisper, murmuring inside larger worlds. Only the trusted few can absorb what is necessary. Wise and sly and perfect, your instructions drop, leaving nothing but the hard, sweet rhyme of enlightenment. Anyway, to finish off, the path is set, your voice is unleashed. It, it Maybe I got that mixed up. I don't think you did. Anyway, all of those just really... And I got to looking into Alpha Lupe, too. And I I started wanting to try to find more about them and, you know, trying to find some sort of connections to Osiris because there's just there's too many coincidences here, you know, with with the the weapons that that. Well, I'm not I'll I'll say that the weapons that that Tolan made or designed um, and how they tie in in some way, form, or fashion with the touch of malice, and then all of these warnings and um, things coming from Osiris. There was, 
there's there's a lot going on there and like i i think i said in the last episode or maybe i said in chat one time i really think the speaker is sitting there in his little tower kicking his butt right now (laughs) (laughs) um these guys were on to something and they were on to something big and it caused a lot of waves but um Everything seems to point back to them, even even these these weapons. Yeah, no, and I know like we were talking <clears throat> offline, we were talking about the uh the fact that Osiris and Tolan seem to be breaking the dichotomy of do you choose light or do you choose dark? You know, they they kind of are like this force saying, I choose neither. I choose my own path. And that requires me right. to walk in the shadow, but it's also requiring me to be part of the light and the dark. You know, it's kind of like what the Awoken exists and like the Nine already kind of, you know, from very little that we know about the Nine, they kind of seem these kind of, uh, these independent forces that are neither light nor dark. And the, you know, the Awoken by biological necessity are that and the Nine almost seem like just by choice regardless of what they what the nine are you know and it it's kind of you know i think that was when i was making the point you know for a game based around choice there seems to be a rather significant lack of that we only have the two paths in front of us and it seems like osiris is kind of coming in with a sledgehammer and just breaking through the wall that is bounding binding all the guardians and being like you know there's a there's a third option and that's the one that you follow yourself and so I'd be I'm interested to see how that that how that unfolds definitely in the in the future of the game. But to kind of wrap up to go back the last one is the touch of malice. And I and this one this one's effect is, you know, it's in game mechanics it's very obvious. Um you lose health to do more damage. Literally, you trade your health for a greater uh DPS. And so it's power above all else is kind of the effect kind of name that we've been giving it in the chat. And it almost seems like there's a a sense of it being a portable oversoul or portable ascendant realm because of that effect. And also because of we kind of touched on it. There's a there's a sense that there might be something of Oryx, you know, well, there is something of Oryx built into this weapon. And there's, you know, what exactly does that translate into? What does that mean? Um, I think that's that's pretty much all that we touched on in the chat. I'm trying to see if yeah. I have anything that I've missed, and I don't think I do. I think we actually covered every. It was it was funny. We started off the chat. And we're like, "Well, this is going to be a short chat," and then it just kind of went went on. Like it just moved pretty yeah pretty quickly. So yeah yeah, and like I said, the more I got to digging into this stuff, and I know. I mean that's this this is this is kind of what I do is dig into weapons and and as much as you know it pains me to say I never looked into bad juju I never looked into because honestly a lot of the exotic weapons in the game 
there's not a lot of story behind them. I mean, if you look at Soros regime, okay, wow, it's a white gun. It sounds funny. And, and, and it's just, there's not a lot of, of, you know, um, you know, patience and time. What, I mean, what, what, what do you, what, what do you do with that? You know, mm-hmm. outside of go invisible when you crouch or aim down sights. I mean, it's, um, and, and that's my thing is looking into these weapons and looking at the names and I guess you call it the entomology or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's, that's, that's, that's where a lot of my interest lies. And unfortunately I never really paid a lot of attention to, you know, bad juju and murmur and, and, and a lot of these weapons and, and digging into these things for this was just, um, you know, like I said, the, the finding the stuff I did with bad juju and the connections and the, the foundry logos and, and the, the rabbit hole I went down on hard light and, oh my God, don't get me started. It it was, it was actually a very, very interesting conversation. Um, it, it, it really was. Yeah, no, it's very interesting. For those of you who are not in stream, Justin decided to show Come his your face hair, off. bro. <laughs> Sorry. God. So, that all shout being out said, shout out time. Uni, why don't you take take the honor of going first? Take point, Uni. All I'm right, gonna brush, um, I'm gonna brush my hair. Yeah, do that. Wet it a little. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, I want to give a shout out to uh, a fellow by the name of Silver Honor. Uh, he's a fan of the of the uh, podcast, and uh, he looked me up on on Xbox, and uh, he added me. I don't know. It was right after the right after the last podcast when I was on, and uh, we finally got to hook up the other night. And he and I spent several hours together, um, roaming around Venus and talking. And we went to the Dreadnought, and I bet we spent three hours uh, close together. And we were, we were just you know he would ask questions and. We, you know, and it was it was awesome, and uh, I I just you know really appreciate the time I got to spend with him. He he was he was amazing, and then um, another one by the name of uh, Tanker King. I want to apologize. You asked me to run trials the other day, and dude, I was just fixing to get off. I'm so sorry. Uh, hit me up again sometime. I will more than gladly burn through several tickets, probably never getting past five. Um, They're called passages. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) More experienced than I do. Um, But uh, just the whole Focus Fire chat family, everyone that's in chat, um, you freaking people are amazing. And this this past week, um, I, I I think every single one of you has just proven why this particular community is just 
so above par and and every, everyone that's been in chat whether it was the the weapons of sorrow chat or if destiny lore chat or the division it's okay um you know you 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 guys are great and and I just can't say enough good things about this community that that's being built up and um it's you know i'm i'm just honored to be here and glad you guys would have me and uh please someone tell me when i can look back up at my tv so justin doesn't make me laugh <laughs> give myself i was just getting myself together for you <laughs> okay <coughs> married bro oh, this is hey 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 can't two men can't two men care about their parents and and be out in public together? Hey, what's wrong with that? Oh bringing, my God. bringing new meaning to the term one v one me, bro, is just <laughs> insane. <laughs> oh, no, uh, man. my so, shout outs are next. Yep, go for it. <laughs> Big shout out to Uni for being an awesome host yet again. Didn't even let us have a whole lot of time to miss him from the last time. He just popped right back in. I love I it. I love it. It's awesome. Um, big shout out to uh, a new podcast I've been listening to is uh, Return to Orbit, uh, Destiny podcast. Those guys are um, awesome. They talk. Yeah, they talk Destiny news, lore, everything. Kind of uh, in the vein of Garden, Guardian Radio little bit but they're from across the pond they're awesome um and uh big shout out and i missed this last week but i definitely want to say it because i was blown away by it is uh the community uh was it the community focus i think so is cope cope one is the artist and just check him out on deviant art wherever you can find him look for the community focus from a couple weeks ago He's amazing. He's got skills. Code one. He draws a hunter with a wolfwood cloak like I've never seen anyone do it. Yeah, it was so, from March 16th. Um, amazing. And that's good. That's my short shout out. Nice. So my my shout outs are actually not really as much shout outs as much as just, Hey, heads up. There's a couple things going to be happening these next couple weeks. And we want to kind of give you a heads up on them. Uh, first off. So it's kind of a shout out, but guardian radio, be sure you guys are listening to them. And actually the cool thing about that is I'm actually going to be on guardian radio this Sunday. Uh, they, they do a live stream very similar to what we do. Actually, they're kind of the encouragement to do the format that we do. Um, so I will be streaming with them on sun this Sunday, Easter Sunday at 9 PM central. Um, just watch their, watch their Twitter, watch our Twitter account. We'll be giving, uh, information on that. Their, their website is the guardians of If you have any curiosity and you aren't already listening to them, you should fix that immediately. Um, first the- of all, <laughs> if, if you're listening to us and not them, something's wrong. <laughs> Something happened in the wrong order. (laughs) 
Not to interrupt you, Blue. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, that's the other thing is um, Bungie live streams. So we have two more. Uh, next Wednesday is going to be new things to earn, and then the following week is going to be the sandbox and the crucible. And both of those are going to be Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central. Now, the cool thing about that is, is that allows us to, we were talking about this before the show, we are actually going to host it from this channel, from twitch.tv slash focusfirechat. So if you do not want to venture into the exciting chat room on Bungie's Twitch channel, you can come hang out in our Twitch channel and watch it because I'll host it here and then we'll have our chat that you can commun- you know, you can chat with us as well. So just keep that in mind as well. Um, then also, I haven't really actually, this is the first time I'm going to be announcing this, but we are going to start doing the return of Guardians Against Humanity. And right now, I think we're doing it once a month. We might step it up based on how much response we get because it can get kind of... We're going to be putting mature flags on and we will be playing... Guard, uh, it's called Cards Against Humanity while we're playing Crucible. So it's going to get colorful very fast. And we are going to be doing that over on the Dads of Destiny Twitch stream, which is twitch.tv slash Dads of Destiny. And I think we are scheduling that for next Thursday at 10 p.m. Central. Again, just watch our, tw- our Twitter account. We will be, I'll be getting information out that way as well. So with that all being said, Willie, are you there? You got anything? No, you are going some... nowhere without a A in theory. <laughs> no, there insane. he is. There You're he insane. is. Kind of hard to tie in to the weapons of sorrow but I think I found out how to do it <laughs> so you, you notice how Saint doesn't talk to Payan although my belief is that he is Saint's colorful sidekick well my belief is perhaps Payan himself has become the crux of Saint he had to put himself into the Vexar Arsenal in order for Saint to go up there to even stand a chance against Osiris, which, yes, this is completely outlandish. This is beyond paying riding a Chinese dragon with Nokris in hand, but, you know, it actually took me a couple hours to figure this out. So, I mean, it's not easy to try to time into this one. Um, shout outs, as always, Foxtrot X1. Uh, love all my guys out there. Dad's Destiny is as a collective great group of guys. Um, I believe we have an email. If anybody ever has any complaints, <laughs> yes. they can feel free to uh, <laughs> shoot an email over. And Blue, correct me if I'm wrong, but it is K A I C I U N U S at dadsofdestiny.net anything Dad, send that anything that you can think of to it, this email it's just hate hate mail hate Mondays, Fridays, <laughs> love letters Tuesdays, love letters kill us. It's gonna totally anything kill us. at all and and Kai loves questions about lore too so feel free <laughs> but to mostly you know. he loves questions about why he's fucking up so much <laughs> <laughs> alright there's our one up um, we've hit PG-13 <laughs> Thanks, Justin, for just 
screwing into that for <laughs> all of us. Just, just stealing it. Just stole our one F-bomb for the whole year. For the whole year. <laughs> um, and, of course, ishtar-collective.net. I don't know where we'd be without that website. You guys you do a great job. Keep up the good work. And that's it for my shout-outs and my ridiculous pain theory that kind of went nowhere, but that's, that's what I expected, so... All right. No. You guys good? You good to go? (laughs) I'm good. Thank you, Uni, for joining us. This was a little different. (laughs) Yeah. No. Hey. No problem. Uh, I I didn't anticipate being back on, and so you know, just being able to be here and you know was great, and so. Yeah, I I just appreciate being here. So, well, with with all that, we're going to begin to wrap up the chat. Um, thank you again to all those over in chat for coming to spend your evening with us. If you'd like to join us, please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash focusfirechat. Links to all our sites can also be found with our episode archives on our Podbean site, which is focusfirechat.podbean.com. Thank you again to Uni for spending your evening with us. We hope to get you back on here soon and wanted to also give you a huge shout out for not only being the, to the amazing intro and outro audio, but also for your taking on the enormous task of working with us on all our chat maps. So all those chat maps that we are now linking on the show notes, Uni is a huge part of making sure that I am not completely messing them up. Um, so thank you for that, Uni. Yeah, no problem. And so please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any questions or topics that you'd like us to see tackle in our new YouTube videos that we're in the process of putting together, the Lore 101 series and Justin Spinfoil Corner. Also, please be sure to keep an eye out for the new poll to help decide which topic we'll be talking about next chat. And I will be sending that out on Twitter and within the chat as well. So we're going to try to keep to the scheduled Wednesday night streams of the chat starting at approximately 10 p.m. Central. But if we have any variations, we always do let everyone know through our Twitter account, which is at Focus Fire Chat. So until next time, the lore band marches on. <laughs>